Amen. Thank you so much for your giving. Uh, thank you for just providing an atmosphere of worship this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, we just want to say one more welcome to you. Uh, again, my name is Pastor Dave. Uh, my wife and I have been pastoring here for 13 years, and we would love to get connected to you. And a way to get connected is there is a QR code on the back of some of the seats right in front of you. If you want to just scan that, uh, you can get more information about us or from us. It uh, gives us a chance to really connect well to you. And uh, we encourage you that if you've never really looked at even sermon notes online, most people, if you've got a smartphone and you've downloaded the Bible app, the version app, you can actually look up our notes under events and follow along, post from there, read the scriptures from there. It just helps you to stay connected during the service. Uh, today, we're gonna, we are going to continue our series. We're in week, I can't believe, week number four. Uh, next week, uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll dive into uh, week five, and then week six will wrap up at the end of this month. And then in June, we are going to go into our first marriage series we've done in a few years. It used to be an annual thing, and I am stoked about reclaiming Eden. Uh, I cannot wait. So if you know somebody who has a jacked-up marriage, invite them out. If you know people who have a perfect marriage, Invite them out because my guess is they don't have a perfect marriage. If you know people who need, uh, they need to be married, you're like, that's me. Come on out. Um, if you know people who are getting married, it is, a, it is an awesome time to invite people out. And I'm telling you what, if there's any group of people that I have met that are hungering for more marriage enrichment, I'll be honest, it's not, it's not people I find in the church, and you're like, well, is that because all of your marriages are perfect? No, it's because for some reason in church we put up fronts. But it's people that are outside the four walls of the church that are looking for marriage enrichment, and we're going to be preaching about um, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and if you're not married, don't want to be married, you're no longer married, this, I promise, this series will impact your life, I promise you. How many of you in the room at some point played an instrument? Anybody play an instrument? Look at that. You can put your hands down. How many of you had to make a choice between choir or an instrument, a choir or band, and you had no option whatsoever? Anybody? A couple people in the, in the house. Um, when I was 14, I remember going to a meeting because at 14 years old, they were establishing, no, 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 it wasn't 14. It was fourth grade. Fourth grade, I take it back. If I wasn't 14 in fourth grade, I would have had <laughs> messed up a few years. Uh, some of you are like, I'm going to talk to your parents about that. So fourth grade, uh, we got, I went to a meeting where they were starting up orchestra at our elementary school. And I just was passionate about the violin. Absolutely passionate. If you're from the South, it's called the fiddle. Same thing. In fact, if you're from the South, you're like, no, it's not. Um, but that's what I wanted to play. And I was stoked about it. I went and showed my dad. And he says, nope. He threw it away. He says, we play the trumpet in the Behringer house. And I remember just weeping about the violin. I, I mean, looking back, I don't know what I was so enamored with, but I, I, I like a violin. I like the sound of strings. I think it's incredible. I love when Gabe plays the violin up here. Um, but I remember just being bent out of shape. And I remember wiping my tears from my eyes, coming out of my room, and my dad was getting ready to take out the garbage. And for some reason, we had clear garbage bags. And what was on the outside of the inside of the clear garbage bag was the form to sign up to be a violin player. And one more time, it just broke my heart. And a year later, of course, we played the trumpet. My dad's like, this is what Behringer's do. We play the trumpet, and trumpets are the best kissers, so this is what your wife is going to want, blah, 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 blah. Heard it all. 
um, and grew up playing the trumpet. Actually, actually, I played the trumpet into ministry. I was in worship uh, orchestras up until 2002 where I retired from it. I like to say that. I just literally just stopped playing. Uh, for which my grandfather got upset and reclaimed the trumpet that I was playing to punish me, for which I'm, I was okay with. Um, Ethan continued the trumpet. That just was a thing in the Behringer house. Uh, when I think about the idea of playing an instrument, it's something that you need to grow in, you need to kind of mature in, you need to kind of have something developed. And the only way to do it is to actually do it. The only way to get better at anything is to actually do it. And I was reading a story about Pablo Casals. And when Pablo Casals reached 95 years old, a young reporter threw him a question and says, Mr. Casals, you are 95 years old and the greatest cellist that ever lived. Why do you still practice six hours a day? Mr. Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. He started playing at 11 years old. And the question comes up, why do you keep doing this? Because I think I'm beginning to make progress. That has been, that little simple story has kind of been ringing true within my own heart regarding our maturity in Christ. In fact, this morning's title of the message is simply called The Measure of Maturity. The Measure of Maturity. Because when we think about the measure of maturity for a cellist or for a trumpet player or for whatever instrument you play or for the singer that you are or maybe that your parents told, told you you are, um, it's the measure, what is the measure of those? What is the metrics by which you look and say that person is experienced, they're talented, they have abilities? Because I'm telling you what, from playing in fifth grade all the way to 2002, I'm here to tell you I wasn't a very talented trumpet player. Not in the least bit. But the question is, what is the measure of Christian maturity? Is it church attendance? Is it giving in the offering? Is it how much of the Bible that you've got memorized? Is it the amount of things you've done in the church or for the church or people you invited to the church? Um, is it about what you wear in the church? I've heard all sorts of things. What is the measure of maturity? My main takeaway for you today is a very simple statement that I hope will bring true in your hearts and will help call all of us into what I would assume is a repentance mindset. When we truly look at what we assume Christian maturity has been and what it should be. So I want to make a statement that simply says this. The measure of Christian maturity is love. The measure of Christian maturity is love. Study this all you want. Read about it all you want. I'm here to say the measure of maturity in, is, in Christianity is the issue of love. And I know I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to have to say it a thousand times more. Because every time I preach about love or on Facebook, God forbid, I post about love being the highest level of maturity. That love is the fullest expression of Jesus. I always get people underneath there that come at me. And it's always the angry Christians that say, but we have to be able to speak the truth in love which I don't disagree, but if that's the measure of your love is wanting to two by four somebody with the gospel, then perhaps we have missed out on what the love of Jesus truly is. Loving people is not approving of their decisions. 
Loving people is not agreeing with their decisions. Loving people is not saying that you agree with who they voted for or they have to agree with what you voted for. Love has nothing to do with trusting individuals. Love is just that. It is being the expression of Christ. And we have to be cautious. Get this. I need you to hear this clear. We have to be cautious not to measure other people's spiritual maturity by things that Christ never identified as maturity. We have to be cautious that we're not looking to other people's spiritual maturity and we are making judgment calls based upon what we think they ought to measure up to rather than look at that which Jesus measured things up to. Jesus called us to a life of love. And yes, love has tough tough questions to ask. Love can confront. Love can call things out. But love also embraces. Love also reaches. Love also reaches out and, and speaks to people that need some word of hope. Love is something that we need to be about in the body of Christ. In fact, love was so, is so rich and there's such a level of maturity that even Paul, when he wrote about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, says, hey, spiritual gifts are great, but they don't trump love. In fact, they don't develop love. Love makes them valid and you can have all of the tongue talking that you want. You can have all these gifts flowing through your life, but if you don't have love, you're not validated. Love is the highest standard. What I find amazing is that in the Christian world, we we have three things. We have essentials, we have opinions, and we have traditions. And I do find when churches do split, that they normally split not necessarily over, over essentials, and that does happen, but I find that they normally split over traditions and opinions. Did you know Christians are opinionated? I know. I've shocked you. Thank you, Stephen, for the deep no back there. Y'all are opinionated. It's there. We have opinion. And what has happened in the church is we have taken our opinions and we have raised them to the level of salvific doctrine. And we start promoting and going to bat more for our opinions and many times for our traditions rather than going after the essentials of who Jesus is. Pastor Dave, what are your essentials? I am glad that you've asked me that question. Here is my essential. My essential is this. There is one true God expressed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How are they saved? They are saved by faith through grace and the faith is in Jesus. Jesus Christ and him alone, that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose on the third day, that Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, promised us the spirit of God and he has poured his spirit upon all flesh so that we would experience his presence to go into this world. He ascended into heaven and he is coming back again and he wills that none should perish and that we would help seek those who are lost. Boy, I can keep going on essential city because these are some of my essentials, but we have got essentials that we ought to be preaching, that we ought to be speaking about, but yet we begin fracturing the church and even fracturing the world around us by chasing after opinions and sometimes even traditions. I love traditions. I have them. You have yours. Sometimes we share traditions, but I'm here to say that here at this church, we will always be about Jesus. We will never not be about Jesus. We'll never stop preaching Jesus. And if it doesn't align up with Jesus, then we don't line up with that. Because our goal in this church is to make it simple for people to find and to follow Jesus. What do we mean by find? We want to make it clear as day. 
This is who Jesus is. This is who you should find. And we will go into intentional efforts to help people to not just discover Christ, but follow Christ so that their lives can become mature. What is the true measure of maturity? I'm glad you've asked me that question because I'm going to tell you it again. The measure of Christian maturity is love. And both Jesus and the scriptures give us little room for speculation, assumption, or conjecture. We're going to throw some scriptures up on the screen. I've got a bunch of scriptures for you this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 through 30. Excuse me, 30 through 31. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us. I love the NIV. It says compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it's, as it's in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more to see the day drawing near. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone that does not love does not know God before God is love. Look at that last line. He that doesn't know love doesn't know God because God is love. Now, we're not saying that love is God. Let's be real. Love is not God. God is love. There's a difference between I'm worshiping and following love and following God to understand what love actually looks like. God is calling our church in the church to be a greater personification of authentic love. To be a people that when we look out in this world, instead of seeing that which we don't like in them, but we begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus to know how to reach out with love. There is a, a book that came out in 1923, so over 100, almost 100 years ago, 100 years next, next year, written by a man by the name of Martin Bruber. He is a godly Jewish rabbi who saw a problem literally a century ago. And his book is called the, uh, the It and Thou Principle. And the, the crux of the entire book is simply this. Is if we're not careful, we will look at people as an it instead of a thou. We will look at them as an object rather than somebody made in the image of God. There's a, there is a Latin term that I will throw out constantly and the word is imago Dei and it means the image of God. And if we are not careful that we can actually dehumanize individuals and groups of people by just lumping them together and seeing them as objects as opposed to seeing them and embracing them as imago Dei, the image of God. And so we look at the differences between its and thou's. When we see people as an it, we, we are distracted and goal-oriented. We only see them for what we can get them to or for what we can get from them. Whereas if we see them as people, we are attentive and listen-oriented. And listen when we see people as an it, others are objects and extensions of us. But when we see people as a thou, other people are pe are, others are persons, unique and separate. When we see others as an it, we are judgmental with conditional acceptance. In other words, unless you fit the bill that I want you to fit, then I won't actually accept you as a human being. Where the other side, we're non-judgmental and we have radical acceptance. Did you know that you can accept somebody as a human being without accepting any decisions they've ever made in their lives? You could treat somebody as human without 
saying that their sin in their life and the brokenness, whatever you see in their life that you don't like, you can accept someone as a human being without actually accepting and just putting a stamp of approval on all of that. Seeing people as an it, we have a monologue and debate positions. When we see others as a thou, we're ready for dialogue, exploration, curiosity, and wonder. When we see others as an it, we withhold our true selves, selves and we limit our sharing. When we see others as a thou, we are vulnerable and we are offering ourselves. When we see others as an it, we are closed, unwilling to learn or change. When we see others as a thou, we are open and willing to learn new views to change. And unfortunately, we dehumanize groupings of people. Have you ever said, all blank are this? I remember hearing people say, all, all atheists are angry. Can I, I need to introduce you to my atheist friends. They're some of the sweetest individuals I've ever met in my life. All Catholics are this. All Methodists, all Baptists, boy, we do that in denominations, don't, don't we? I think we do that in, in order to somehow elevate ourselves and to push somebody else down a notch instead of being kingdom-minded people. What about all millennials? Millennials? How about all boomers? I'll pick on myself. All Gen Xers. We group people in order to objectify and to dehumanize rather than taking the time to look at individuals as a thou. Looking and realizing that everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Let me just make a simple statement today. President Biden has been fearfully and wonderfully made. President Trump is fearfully and wonderfully made. We can start going down the list of politicians that you like or that you dislike. I can start listing off maybe relatives of yours that you like or dislike, neighbors of yours, and we can go down the list. But I want you to understand that being fearfully and wonderfully made isn't reserved for people we like. It's for every single human being. And far too often we as the church, we are so known for who we don't like rather than being known by the people that are willing to sit with anybody and love anybody, embrace anybody, knowing that they need to hear about the love and experience the love of Jesus before perhaps they need to hear anything else. The greatest test for our maturity, the greatest test, I believe, for our maturity is not how well we love the people we like, but how well we're willing to love the people that we disagree with. We've got to be known by our love. And if we're going to be a mature people and follow after Jesus, we have to be known. The quintessential part of our lives is we have to be a people willing to love. I love Jackie Hell Perry. I love ever reading everything she writes. She says this, something revolutionary happens in the heart when you recognize that every single person you will ever meet is made in the image of God. Well, they don't act that way, pastor. You know what? You don't always do that too. Well, I wish they would change some things. You know what? I bet you they think the same thing about you. We are so busy standing up for what we are against. When was the last time we stood up for what we're for? And when I walk out into this world, I want us to have the type of heart that says, man, for God so loved, not Christians, he so loved the world that he gave. God, give us a level of maturity that marks our lives. But we begin to withhold at love and we justify our judgments based upon what I, we call three unbiblical attitudes. Number one, that it's bad to have different views from me. Some of you are determined that if somebody has a different view than you do, then they are automatically in the wrong. 
Number two, everyone I talk to, they have to see the world as I see the world. Let me give you just a snapshot. You're not going to find that in this church, let alone outside. You're not going to see things eye to eye on every little detail. Or, number three, I can't stay in relationship with you if you continue to believe the wrong things. Those are three very unbiblical attitudes because when we look at something like that, when we look at these three, we are literally limiting ourselves to virtually nobody in this world. In fact, it's not even the way that Jesus lived. Jesus was actually given a term that in the day was a very derogatory term. He was called the friend of what? Sinners. We think it's a cool thing. In that day, it was a disastrous thing to say of somebody. That person, don't go near them. They are a friend. They they are tainted by the people they hang out with. And we have to learn to begin to treat lives around us like those, like people, individuals that are deserving of a salvific approach to life through the love of Jesus poured out from you. Every human being is deserving of an expression of Jesus. I need you to write that down somewhere in your life. Every human being, every one of your co-workers, every one of your neighbors, every one of your family members, every person that you pass by on the street, people that you look in the eye or refuse to look in the eye, every person is deserving of the expression of the love of Jesus through your life. So I'm going to give you just three simple questions today that I want you to ponder this week. Now, we have times where we have you stand and pray. Uh, we have people come over, lay hands on your shoulders. We're gonna do that tonight. You do not wanna miss tonight, 6.30 to 7.30. We're gonna bring everybody up front here and we're just gonna go into a time of worship. We're gonna go in times of prayer. The prayer team is gonna be ready and available. We're praying for miracles to happen. That's gonna be our expression of prayer is gonna be tonight. But the response from today's message is gonna be the way you live this week. This week is your altar. So number one, three questions I need you to write down when it comes to treating people as vows is number one, am I listening incarnationally? Am I listening incarnationally? Am I fully present with others? I'm here to tell you, our ability to focus is quickly eroding in 2022. We spend our lives scrolling. We spend our lives clicking. And we have got no attention. When I work with pastors and we talk about church websites, do you know how long a church website gets viewed before somebody clicks off if they don't see anything of interest or anything that's easy to navigate? Three seconds. We call the the website the virtual church lobby and there's three seconds to make an impression, three seconds to catch an attention. We have an attention span of three seconds or or less. When we wake up in the morning, we normally don't say good morning to people. What do we do? We pick up our phones and we start scrolling. We start going through and we're just clicking through. We're liking things at random. Some of you are liking things based upon now things are posted just by the people that are actually posting it. We're not actually being fully with people. And if we're going to be a people that are going to be a level of maturity and have that level of love, then we need to be a people that are ready to look individuals in the eye and be fully present. So the question is, am I listening incarnationally? Am I being fully present with people? Number two, am I loving or judging? Are you a judgeaholic in the house? Anybody besides me, you're a judgeaholic. You love judging people. I don't love judging people. Sometimes it's things that I jump into that I've got to pull my heart back. But we've got so much judging that takes place. We judge 
We judge other parents by the way they discipline or lack thereof. If that was my kid, I hear that in the store. Some of y'all forgot what it was like to have a little one. Back in my day, I just would have walked to the hardware department and got a, a yardstick. <laughs> I've heard these things in stores. We judge other people. We judge people how they discipline their kids. We judge generations and we say kids today, millennials today. We judge sermons. I got one amen. Thank you, Judy, for judging my sermons. We judge political views. We judge other people's spiritual journey. We judge other people by the way they look. We judge other races, other cultures. We judge other faiths, other denominations. We judge other people based upon their hair, their makeup, the way they dress. We judge people's decision on how they are upkeeping themselves. We judge, we judge, we judge, we judge, we judge. And the horrible outcome of judging is this, is judging others ends up turning our differences into, virtue, into virtues of moral superiority. Because we don't judge people to help them. We judge people to lift up ourselves. And Jesus, your pastor, doesn't the scripture say we ought to be able to just judge? The judging of scripture, I wish I had time to dig into it. We did a message on it like four years ago, three years ago, that we talked about judging. There's a difference between judging actual right or wrong according to the scriptures. But a lot of the judging we do nowadays has nothing to do with the essentials. It has more to do with opinions. Well, that guy's got tattoos. He's got to have a lot of issues. It's true. <laughs> I remember inviting a guest speaker one time. This is back 13, no, 12 years ago. And he walks in and he looks at me, he looks at me up and down. He goes, oh, you're one of those casual pastors. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Why do we love to judge others? Because we look at it as our ability to affirm ourselves. And the third question that I'll leave you is this, and I wrap up. Am I being open or closed to being changed? Am I listening? Am I loving or judging? Am I open or closed to being changed? I don't know if you've ever, ever had a conversation with God that says, God, I need you to work in my life, but don't touch these areas of my life. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you're just feeling the love of God and you just want God to do so much in our lives, but we end up closing doors inside of our lives and we're saying, God, touch everything but those areas of my life. But I'm here to say that you cannot, you cannot, you cannot follow Jesus without accepting an invitation to change. You can't. You can't follow Jesus without accepting the invitation to change. Because Jesus, yeah, he wants to come in and he wants to save your heart. He wants to save your soul. He wants to come into your life. But listen, following Jesus is more than getting your tickets punched to heaven. It's following him and allowing him to transform your life from the inside out. And he wants to bring you into greater levels of maturity. And the only way to do that is to do more than give him your heart. Give him your life. Give him your life. Well, you want to mature in Christ? Give him everything. And some of us, we are such control freaks. And we don't want to give him everything because we love the control that we have. We love making the call. But the most simple way to saying I put my faith in Jesus is saying this. I'm putting the trust of my life into the hands of my Savior. And letting him have the call.
because Jesus wants to change us. I'm waiting for people to be like Pablo Casals that you may have been following Jesus for the past, what, 84 years. He played cello from 11 to 95. 84 years, and still at 84, he's saying, I still could be growing. I still could be progressing. I'm here to say that if you're still breathing, God isn't done with your life. There's still purpose in you. There's still plans for you. There's still ways to grow, and there's still ways for God to use you to grow. Embrace change. There's a story that I had read about an interview with a guy who dives for exotic fish for aquariums. And he says one of the most popular aquarium fish that people ask him for is a shark. And he explained that if you can catch a small shark and confine it, it will stay a size proportionate to the aquarium it is put in. Sharks can be six inches long and yet fully matured. And if you turn them loose in the ocean, they will grow to their normal length of eight feet. Some of us, with our opinions, we have created aquariums around our lives. And some of us, we gave our heart to Christ 20 years ago. And you know what? We're not 20 years older in terms of mature in Christ. We're still the same infant we were 20 years ago because we've never grown the aquarium. We've said, God, you can only do this in my life rather than letting loose of your hands and letting God begin to grow you to the length and to the size and to the abilities that he's been wanting to do. All he's been waiting for you is to simply say yes. time to, to unleash the aquarium. It's time to just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You're welcome. I expect you to change because I expect me to change. I expect change in this church as from the individual to the corporate. And if Gabe, you don't, if you don't come starting to play, I'm going to talk forever today. You're the man. Today, I want to talk to you about change. Because I want this in your life. How do you get it in your life? This is what you're going to ask this week. You're going to listen to people incarnationally. Because this is what I told a group of pastors two weeks ago. I taught a class to some pastors in our state. And I said, some of you have been trying to hear from God. But perhaps, perhaps if we actually got out of our offices and talked with unbelievers, talk with people who aren't like us, perhaps we'll actually start hearing the heart of God rather than hiding in our office but being amongst people and begin to see people the way Jesus sees them. So listen, how else do you change? You ask yourself, am I loving or judging? Am I trying to push people down so I can raise myself up? Or number three, am I open or closed to being changed? And I'm here to say that we are not just encouraging you to do that as individuals. We're going to do that as a church. Over the past few months, we have been making changes in our church corporately, in our systems, to help bring connection. Why? We started Tables, our small group system, that we are launching and still launching more seems like every week we've got one more person we're meeting with, one more group that we're, that we're working with. They're not quick turnarounds. We don't want to just launch out a table and do it incorrectly. We want to help walk them, sometimes slowly, but we want them to mature and launch well. 
We have launched trainings. Our boundary training was tremendous. Cindy Grimmer did an amazing job. And right now, I love the intimate group. We've got about anywhere from 20 to 30 that we'll meet on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. And we talk about what we've been preaching about and just having intimacy and connection. It has been beautiful. And we want more. We have been challenging people to get involved in areas of ministry. Why? Because, man, it's more than just learning things. We want you to live it out. We want levels of maturity in this church. And part of doing that is sometimes restructuring how we do things here at K-First. Joan Culp, Edith Perry, Gwen Kellis, Charlie McCollum, Debbie McCollum, Becky Cross, uh, Tim Rosek, Rosecki, Judy Feeney, Larry Clare, Alita Clare. Most of you will, will not recognize some or all of these people. A few that you might recognize, but most of, most of you in the room, you may not have heard of any of these individuals here. But these are the names of just a few individuals that impacted and shaped the pastoral staff in our formative years. These were the people that consistently growed up. I showed up. They did grow it up. They showed up. They cared for. They prayed for. And they shaped the faith of this pastoral staff in our childhood. These individuals... They have all something very peculiar in common. None of them were pastoral staff. Every single one of them were volunteers. As pastors, these were our Sunday school teachers, kids' church leaders, missionette leaders, Royal Ranger commanders, for those of you that remember missionettes and Royal Rangers. Not one of them held the title of pastor, but the impact that they made lasted through the years and we are bringing up these names, these volunteers on purpose, because as we look to the future of KFIRST, we are making some exciting changes. And today, the, for the next few minutes, I want to share with you some of the changes that are taking place so that we can raise the level of maturity in this body. How many of you believe that spiritual maturity should not have to be regulated to just adults and teenagers in the church? Our kids need levels of maturity. Thank you. The three people over here that collapsed. Incredible. So with these areas and these, so with these things, we've decided to really reshape what life looks like, what ministry is going to look like. We spent time refining the mission of K First and the vision that it requires to get us to this place. And these discussions have helped us to realize that we can intentionally structure our staff for healthy maturity and growth. And those discussions have brought up two major focuses to our forefront. Number one, we need a position that focuses purely on spiritual formation, overseeing discipleship through tables, teams, and trainings. In other words, we need a staff member that's gonna focus on the overall discipleship of this church body. And we also need a focused position on next generation ministry. So with these goals in mind, 
we are going to begin to transition Pastor Kevin out of the family pastor role into the spiritual formation role focused on overseeing our discipleship here at K-First. Pastor Carissa is going to be stepping into a new role as next generation pastor. What we're going to do is we are shifting from nursery, kids first, and real being silo ministries. In other words, having barriers in between the departments. I grew up for 12 years of my ministry being a youth pastor, two and a half of them as a kids pastor. And I'm here to say that if you've been involved in some of those ministries, you know that they can be kind of a silo. Doing their own thing. Sometimes no connections between the two. And we've realized that what we need is not three siloed ministries. We need a unified next generation ministry because this will help us disciple the next generation to make it simple for kids, students, and parents to follow Jesus Christ. Now know this. This is nothing new to the church in general. In fact, our prayer director, Janice, brought this up on Thursday at staff meeting. She said, historically, this is the model that was embraced by churches that we all grew up in. I don't know if any of you grew up with kids pastors, but I grew up in a church for which we had Sunday school superintendents. We had volunteers that oversaw most of kids ministry and did most of it and helped us disciple and shaped our lives. And so over the years, the global church has been shifting toward this, but this is a new take for us. But we think that this change is going to be a huge win. Why? Because we're going to raise up the level of maturity for our children. It's going to help us to be intentional about what we're teaching, what we're modeling about each phase of life, and it's going to help us be a better partner with the parents of K-First. So the shift toward next-gen ministry doesn't mean that Pastor Carissa is going to be doing kids' ministry every single Sunday morning. We're not doing this so that Pastor Carissa does uh, children's church on Sundays, in addition to her looking over nursery and doing real students. But what this role entails, it's going to position Pastor Carissa to actually be a pastor. Do you know what a pastor is supposed to do? According to, thank you. It was a pastor up there that said it, by the way. <laughs> Cheater. Ephesians 5 says that pastors are here not to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. Pastor Chris is going to be overseeing volunteer teams, equipping, training volunteers to run services, curriculum development, and partnering with parents here at K-First. One more time, parents, I want you to understand, we're not here to compete with you. We are not here to replace you. We are here to equip you to be the heroes in your kids' lives and their spiritual journey. That when they get their level of maturity from, from the, their examples, that you are the first level that they get. You are the first example. So this is not just a drastic change for next gen, but it signifies a shift forward in terms of the culture of serving at K-First. We are stepping away from one pastor over an area of ministry into teams of volunteers that will show up, care for, pray for, and shape the faith of the next generations. I mean, you heard me list off the people that shaped us as pastors. What we're looking to do is we are looking to raise up the next list for our kids. That when our kids look back on their life, no matter what they go into, no matter what calling they're going into, if they're called to be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, a teacher, um, a pastor, a missionary, whatever they would be called into, that they would look back on their life and they wouldn't think of Pastor Chris or Pastor Kevin or Pastor Dave, that they would begin to list your names. The one that shaped them. The one that spoke into them. The one that taught them the stories. 
The ones that sang with them the songs that helped them grow up into the next generation of leaders. Now, right now, we've got some great volunteers who have already begun to make this, this transition possible, and we are incredibly thankful, but we look to invest into the next generation, and the only way for us to do that is for us as a body to make changes. So here's our goal. By September 2022, so in a few months, Pastor Kevin will be fully transitioned out of Kids First, and Pastor Carissa will be overseeing teams of volunteers to run nursery and Kids First services on Sunday. And what this looks like, it's one team per week made up of 15 to 20 volunteers to run nursery and Kids First. And the only way to make this possible is we need 10 additional volunteers for our nursery and pre-K ministry. We need eight volunteers and four guest check-in volunteers. And some of you are wondering, well, who can do this? I'm here to say that if you are a Christ follower, 14 years on older, you are a candidate. Well, Pastor Dave, I don't think people would listen to me at my age. I don't know what my age means, but I said it before, if you're still breathing, God still wants to use you. I wanted to put my Aunt Mary on this list. My Aunt Mary was a Sunday school superintendent well into her 70s and was very formative in my life. But I, I'm like, okay, family, I'll take family off. But I'm here to say that if God has got a plan, he wants to use you in it. So currently we have one team per week that consists of four volunteers uh, for pre, two volunteers for kids first, and four for check-in. We need right now 10 volunteers for kids first, Eight volunteers, excuse me, 10 volunteers for nursery, eight for guest check-in, and four volunteers to get us moving forward. So if you're here and God is beginning to move upon your heart, if you want to raise the level of maturity in the life of a student, and I'm not just talking about physical, I'm talking about spiritual maturity. We want to raise that level. I'm here to say you're a candidate for this. If you're watching online today, maybe you stayed home and you want to be a part of this, by all means, we want you to volunteer. We are looking to expand these teams. Our goal is ultimately that we would have one team of 15 to 20 in week one of the month that would serve. The next week would be another team that would serve for that week. Why are we doing that? So that we can have a well-rounded connection to our children. At the same time, we don't want to take you and have you volunteering four weeks out of every month or sometimes five weeks out of every month because the church should not be burning out their, their young people and their adults. But the only way to not get burnt out is that we embrace change together. There's a reason why every once in a while, if you don't see my wife uh, here immediately on a Sunday morning, you know where she's at? She's back at, at kids' check-in. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Pastor Dave, why don't you volunteer? I'm a little busy on Sundays. <laughs> I don't mind taking my turn, though. Because our kids are worth it. Your one next simple step can make your name a name to remember in the hearts of our kids. A generation that we are raising up in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. A generation that we care for. A generation that we believe in. And a generation for which their culture needs to have a level of maturity. A measure of maturity. So would you do me a favor? I'm just going to pray for you this morning. Tonight is our night to respond in the presence of God in terms of prayer and in terms of worship. 
But our response today is really twofold, is A, what will we do with these three questions to walk out a level of maturity this week, that we will see the measure of maturity raised up in our lives. But secondly, I'm really gonna challenge you, would you be willing to join this team of adults and young people that we need to help ensure that we have got the level of maturity, the level of growth in our kids raised up to the level that it needs to be? I wanna send kids into student ministry at high levels of maturity. I wanna see students begin to get involved with adults at levels of maturity. This is a church that is for all generations, but we need your help. How do you get involved? In front of you is a QR code. You can take your phone out right now and you can scan the QR code. It's got, the sticker looks like this. It's on every third seat. If you just scan it, if you don't want to make a decision today, that's fine. You know, I'm literally not asking for offerings here. This is much easier. But scan it. If you want to scan it and save the website for later to pray over it, more power to you. But I would really challenge if God is moving upon your heart, if God is really prompting your heart to serve once a month, at least just once a month, one out of every four weeks, just minister to our kids. I would really challenge you. Would you consider it? I'm going to pray, ask that you, if you have questions, talk to Pastor Kevin, talk to Pastor Carissa. They would answer any questions you have. Pastor, why can't I ask you questions? Because they, they already know this stuff. They keep their pastor on a need-to-know basis. But we need you. We need you. You're going to hear about this in the next two weeks at the end of the service. Why? Because they say that people attend one of every three weeks. We need to make sure our full congregation gets underneath the weight of this. Imagine what can happen if we raise up an army of disciplers, discipling kids. What would happen to the level of this church in the coming generations and the generations to come? I believe we can see absolute transformation for this area. Why? Because we're not babysitting kids. We're not doing childcare at this church. We are raising the, the level and the measure of maturity because kids shouldn't have to wait till they get in here to hear about Jesus. And surely they don't have to wait till they get here to start living Jesus. 85% of people who have made decisions for Christ did so under the age of 25. And after you get past that age, they say it's actually 85% harder to accept Christ. Why? Because we're so settled with control of our lives. Let's hit the generation. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, I thank you for this day. And Lord, my prayer is this morning that you would help us to raise the level of maturity, to raise the measure of maturity in our lives. And Lord, in this room, Lord, I just speak a, Lord, a spirit of repentance in our hearts. Forgive us for withholding love based upon maybe our judgments that we have felt or judgments that we see, judgments maybe that we inherited from our family of origin, God, judgments that somebody has shaped in our lives or that a news outlet has impressed upon us, God. Forgive us for not seeing every individual, every human being made in your image. And Lord, if any one of us have ever gone into a route where we have withheld, Lord, we repent. We turn our hearts back to you. And Lord, what I pray that you would give us opportunities this week. That you give us opportunities to look at individuals as thou's. Being fully present. Fully listening. Fully engaging. That our hearts, hearts wouldn't be ready to launch out and debate and to monologue people to death. 
but there would be people that are willing to have a conversation, willing to learn, willing to grow, and most importantly, willing to love individuals right where they are at. Lord, forgive us for withholding the love that you have shown us. The love, God, that reached into people's lives and even called them forward by simply saying two words, follow me. Today, Jesus, we follow you with our hearts, with our minds, with our voices, with our feet, with our hands, with our emotions, God, we give you everything. We give you the full trust of our lives. God, we take our lives out of the tank of our opinions and even our traditions. And we latch onto you, Jesus, our essential. And we follow you. And Lord, I pray over decisions right now that are just pondering, should I get involved, God? I pray that you would stir hearts, Lord. We don't twist arms in this church. Lord, we don't manipulate, God. We just simply put out the call. And I pray, Lord, that we would all sense the calling on what you're directing us to. And God, I pray that there would be people here that just say, oh, I don't feel called into working with the kids, God. I pray that you would, Lord, link, link them up to another team, God. Link them up to another expression of serving, God, whether it's worship team or tech or first impressions, God. Lord, we are here to live out and to serve, God. You, you, Jesus, you led this and you said it best that the Son of Man, that the Christ came not to be served, but to serve. How do we do anything less? We've come to serve. Because, Lord, I truly believe that you want to raise the measure of maturity in our lives. So, Lord, I thank you for this day and for this time. Bless us. Fill us full of your presence, God. Fill these roles in our volunteerism. And, God, let the measure of maturity of love be what we are known for in this community. I speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? If you need prayer, by all means, at the end of this hallway, we've got a, a prayer team and a prayer uh, room that is available if you need prayer for anything in your life. But if you, uh, if you wanna get involved, take a, just scan that QR code, link in with us, talk to us. If you're not called in, into kids, get involved somewhere, be a part of what God is doing, and let's grow this church from the inside out and let people experience the measure of love. I speak this over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he turn his face towards you and grant you 